Hello everyone. Welcome to Future Imagined, part by the lovely team at Mars Global Services. I am Sandeep Das and I head foresight for global emerging countries as part of a newly formed global foresight team. This podcast is actually the closest I will ever get to pursue my dreams of theater and potentially performing at Broadway. Before joining Mars, I spent a decade in consulting, and it was unthinkable to have a virtual discussion with a client when a physical one was only one flight away. It was in fact considered rude to have virtual discussions. The human connection was of paramount importance whether at office or a late night drink. COVID ended up disrupting that entire 100-year-old norm on its head. Some of the questions we all ponder over are: Do I really need to be present physically for work, entertainment or leisure? Do we want to switch off from technology or do we want it to speed up and automate our lives? Will the future involve further adoption of automation and collaborative technologies? Will technology be able to seamlessly disappear into the background? Will physical experiences be replaced with digital ones in the future? How will all of this play in the emerging world versus the developed world? You would have realized by now I am someone who's absolutely in love with his own voice, and I'm not sure about you yet. But let me introduce our power pack panel in front of you. I would like each of our guests to. give a spicy introduction a bit about themselves and something which truly stands out the operating word being spicy my name is aj coin i head up marketing at a company called clana i sound like i'm from london but i'm half irish half bahraini which makes me an irab and i know mars very well having my last role heading up the mars account in australia and super proud of the work that we did there and also the creation of something called the lion share which i know marsians are very proud of My name is Sarah Owen and I'm a senior strategist and sociologist at WGSN. I guess my kind of spicy trajectory is that I was born in New Zealand, grew up in Australia, moved to Tokyo and then moved to New York and then moved to Lisbon. So I feel like I'm a pretty seasoned citizen of the world. I'm Manish. I am a senior product and marketing manager at Amazon. I've spent about 17 years of my professional life in different verticals from brand management to trade marketing with ITC to consumer behavior and design thinking and innovation consulting at Quantum and for the last 4 years leading a product and a marketing team at Amazon. Not to spook you, but I think what I find most interesting and dabble in are various form of mystical techniques, from tarot to divination to crystal healing to possibly spirit communications, and all these are really presence-free and help you experience different dimensions. Thanks, Manish. Maybe we should get you to do a tarot card reading on how this podcast will go. Sarah, you understand human beings, all of us, better than most people. And over the last year, year and a half, have you been surprised with the ease with which all of us have embraced technology, whether it's work, whether it's parties, whether it's entertainment? I wouldn't say that I was surprised. I would say that, I mean, obviously the news and the events of 2020 were certainly surprising. But I think our resilience and and kind of capacity to adapt isn't so surprising because of a lot of the key changes that we saw. 
during COVID or kind of in a semi-post-COVID world were all pre-existing trends that were seen earlier. So for example, in 2015, we were already predicting that around 40% of Americans would work from home in 2020. So that was a shift that was already starting to take place. So I think what we saw last year in terms of humans' behavior solidifying and really cementing into this new world was something that we were kind of already getting conditioned towards anyhow. Do you think a day will come once once the vaccine situation improves that we might actually long to come back to office? Do you see a day might come where Monday, 8 a.m. in the morning, all the employees are banging at the doorstep saying, let us in, let us in, we want to come back to office. And with certain companies like Spotify moving permanently to long-term remote working, what sort of challenges do you see in terms of collaboration, in terms of uh, individual work? Yeah, I'm speaking from a very privileged position where I get to work from home. And I think obviously a lot of us are lucky where we're afforded that luxury, but that's not obviously the case for other different cohorts and demographics. But I would say that there are prolonged challenges to working from home or isolation in general. And there's the classic ones, you know, missing friends and family. But there's actually also biochemical issues that are associated with isolation. And this is kind of a really shocking stat, but I think it was around 31% of Americans have gone more than four months without physical contact or touching someone. Some of the studies show that actually, in fact, over half of Americans also feel disconnected from their coworkers during this period. So that's going to kind of have a knock-on effect. I think as well, there's a lot of benefits from working from home. You know, you've got the environmental situation. You've got cost savings. I think it's something like roughly Americans save between $2,000 and $6,000 each year from commuting costs. So there is a business case for working from home. But on the human front, it can be quite detrimental because there's something called pandemic productivity, right? And we're constantly filling all this extra time that we'd spend commuting, going out for lunch, popping into the shop near our office on more screens. So, you know, Zoom fatigue is really real. And then the lack of like, true intimacy and accelerated intimacy that you get in those environments is something that we're going to have a bit of a deficit with going forward. I can completely relate to that because I have missed the water cooler gossip sessions with my colleagues at office. And (laughs) I think now all of us are realizing how important gossip is in a working environment. But the one thing that's really helped me is what you call online retail therapy. And online shopping has seen a phenomenal boom across the world over in the last 12 to 18 months. Thank God for that. Imagine missing your colleagues and missing online shopping. Wow, what a world that would be. AJ, I want to get your thoughts on this. From a perspective of Klarna, what do you consider the most important thing in this new evolving online shopping experience? The first thing that we've seen is a huge amount of new adoption to online shopping from generations that may have rejected it in the past. So the biggest growth audience we have are Gen Xs at Klarna at the moment globally, so 44 to 60 plus. And where in the past they may have trialed something once or twice, they're now, because of the pandemic, using online shopping again and again and again, so much so it's become a norm. And from a business perspective, I guess digital roadmaps that we've talked to retail partners about, and they have roadmaps for years, because of last year, were implemented in a matter of months. So a lot of people have either sort of fit for today or you know future-proofing for tomorrow. When it comes to the things that we at Klarna think are super important for the future online shopping experience, I think it's fair to say as a business, we're disruptors, full stop. But the disruption that we bring or that we consider or how we wake up in the morning is all about the consumer experience. And that's at the heart of everything we do. And our default is that we're always looking 
to remove friction from both the shopper and the retail journey. And at Klarna, we call that smooth. In terms of, I guess, where that started, that was around the friction in payments in online shopping. So why should I have to go to a website, pick an item, and I see a photo, and then wait, you know, give that retailer my money, have that product turn up, and then wait, does it fit me? Does it look like the photo? And then return it if it doesn't, and then wait for the money to return to my account. So that's where we started. We call it buy now, pay later. When it comes to, I guess, removing friction from the future, we're now looking at the entire shopper journey and the entire shopping experience. So I have a personal example of that. My wife is a shopaholic, accelerated by the pandemic to give her entertainment when she's at home. But she would always shop and browse for things like glassware or browse for fashion items. And she'd have like the most amazing amount of tabs open on her browser. And I'd be like, AJ, don't close the computer down. I need the tabs open. So one of the elements of the Klarna shopping app is around, actually, you can browse to any website on the internet and you can save any product from any website on the internet to your wish list. And that's what's available in the app, removing, I guess, that friction of, you know, tab overload. Let me actually expand the gambit of what you just said and look at the role of the physical store in the future. What's your sense on how the physical store and the online experience will stay together. One of my hypotheses is, and I'm happy to be corrected with you, that a lot of lead generation might happen online, but for some high-end items, people might still want to come to the store. I'd love to hear your view on this. In terms of commerce online and traditional, they will coexist. But the reason why there will always be a role for physical and the real store, yes, for the high-end ticket items for sure. But I mean, look at the world right now. We're all desperate to get out of our homes and to enter the real life. You know, whenever we've had, we've seen the traffic drive back to traditional retail has been massive. And I think the solution there is, yes, from a real world perspective, you still want to touch and see things before you make that decision. But again, it needs to become a place that's beyond transacting. And I think the makeup industry has done this really well for many years. Any experience with a makeup brand, when you go to a traditional store, it's about the experience. And I think we're seeing that certainly in the States as well, where shopping malls are becoming sort of working collab centers, places that are driving culture with galleries. And so I think that evolution of what the traditional retail is going to be is being disrupted on a daily basis. And I think from a consumer perspective on the lead point, they're demanding a lot more from the store. So I think if I spend the time bothering to give you some of my data online, then I expect you to carry some understanding of me if I interact with your brand in other places. So consistency in omni-channel experience across e-commerce, in-store, your app, social is super important. And I think the major shift in that focus is if you think about the last decades, probably been focused on consistency in omni-channel logistics, so connecting your inventory from in-store to online. Now it's very much about understanding of who you are and that experience. So connecting those dots, using tech to provide a connection back to the store, so a virtual shopping assistant. And then if you're in-store, how are you connecting the data you have on me to provide a better experience? That's excellent. Let's actually go to the person who does looking into the future through his mystical sciences. And Manish, I would like to get a sense from you. You are someone who has seen the e-commerce boom in a country like India, one of the big emerging countries, and you have a fair perspective as someone who's been a consumer yourself. How do you react to what AJ is saying in terms of the aspects he's talking about? And how do you look at the role of collaborative tools changing our experience? What's your perspective from the emerging markets? You know, I'll share with you my personal opinion, right? When COVID happened and 
stores got shut. I mean, there was no way you could step out and you could buy anything and we still need things to buy. I think being a shopaholic and shopping for pleasure is one thing, but shopping for sustenance is another thing. I mean, you do need your groceries. You do need your medicines. Suddenly, everybody's working from home and your children are studying from home. You don't have the infrastructure, like especially in a country like India. We don't have houses where you have multiple tablets and multiple laptops. And I think that is really the challenge today for organizations who've seen a boom, you know, or consumer transitioning to alternate mediums of consumption to actually identify that this increase in consumption, which has happened because of suddenly these industries becoming a necessity, continues post-vaccinization, that they continue to ride that boom by turning this necessity-led movement to a movement of choice, which essentially means that organizations need to really innovate. We need to move beyond friction and say, how can we operate in the zone of pleasure? Because again, going back to what Sarah said, there is this energetic exchange which happens. It just doesn't happen in office. It also happens when you walk into a store and you interact with a stylist or you interact with somebody who helps you choose what's right for you. Or when you walk into a familiar mom and pop store who's known you since you've grown up and there is that sense of familiarity. So there are a lot of pleasure moments which get created even in an offline environment. All industries who have seen upwards shifts in consumption, they need to be doubling down. They can't really ride it by saying, oh, it's been a great year. In fact, I would just say that they are in this space of immense responsibility to ensure that post-COVID, they are able to continue to deliver on the customer trust where things are no longer shut down. How do you still continue to delight customers is going to be a challenge. So I'm hopeful that we'll become, you know, more flexible, we'll become more empathetic. Maybe this will be that pill which will bring us back to being more accommodating. I'm actually going to take the counterintuitive view on choice for the next part of this discussion. And as example, I'm going to use me as a narcissistic consumer and I'm going to blow out my narcissistic tendencies and try and generalize. Most people think choice is good. I am actually not sure if that much choice is good. And Sarah, I'd like to start from you, someone who studies, I'm assuming, narcissistic people like me every day. Are you seeing signs of people being overwhelmed with so much choice? Yeah, it's interesting you say that. I don't think choice can be qualified as good or bad, but I think what happens in a society where we're constantly stimulated and saturated, whether that's a scrolling on your Instagram feed or looking at like 20 e-commerce stores, what's really real over the last year is choice paralysis. And that is actually forcing a lot of e-commerce and online retailers to think about their strategy in terms of how do I declutter to not kind of exhaust someone with 300 options of address. So I think there's a point where choice is kind of expected by the consumer. They don't want it to be too overt, right? You kind of already overwhelmed with the endless amount of choices you have to make. So managing that is on the, the brand side of responsibility to kind of mitigate how they put forward their product assortment without kind of overwhelming a customer. And there is kind of a big need for better curation, better personalization, whether that's manually or by an algorithm to kind of combat this neural fatigue that we have from endless options. 
this is something that we spend a lot of time with our engineering and our developing team on. Our app is designed to be an all-in-one shopping service, right? So the experience of that means you don't have to go anywhere. Think of it like a department store, right? It's the one-stop shop where you can enter and experience any brand and shop. But how we present that information to you is very much via inspiration, trends, wish lists, etc. That information comes based on your behavior with Klarna. Typically, we would know if you're a sneakerhead or if you're a gamer or if you're buying into certain types of brands. So we try and automate and identify themes of your behavior to recommend certainly brands that would make sense to you or products that would make sense to you based on what we know about you. So we try and remove some of the paralysis for you and cluster consumers together based on some of those communities. I mean, I'm someone that experiences choice paralysis and arguments with my wife about what to watch on Netflix every day. So I think as much as we can remove any of that fatigue, I think it's a good thing and certainly something we're looking to try and bring to the world of shopping. That's excellent. I hope it plays out the way you're saying. I'll actually give you one of the highlights of 2021 for me. I've started going running with friends again. Some of my friends say, let's not carry our phones and let's not carry our smartwatches. Some of our mind is the most peaceful when we don't carry this. Too much tracking is actually bad. So let's keep all the tech aside and let's just run the way we used to run in the 1970s. Some of it could be just old world comfort or some of it is we think technology is intrusive. And Sarah, I'd like to understand from you, how do you see this aspect of human behavior in terms of the need for disconnection? Yeah, it's really huge. And we're actually working on a forecast at the moment that's around low stimulation society in the future. And this always on mentality that we put upon ourselves through our consumption choices digitally, but also because of the fact that we do now spend a lot more time on our devices because of work. And there's countless studies kind of talking about how Zoom is more draining energetically because you actually have to be more present with eye contact, with your focus. Whereas if you're in a conference room, you can just pick up on someone's body language, even if they're kind of looking out the window. So there's there's a huge drain associated with spending time online. So people are naturally craving a little bit of disconnection from that, even if they do kind of rely on it for income and entertainment and communication. So what we're seeing is this kind of very early indicators of social media platforms that aren't kind of by the big monopolies, but ones kind of popping up on the app store, catering to this new consumer set that really prioritizes self-expression and self-reflective social. So there's a bit of a nostalgic nod to the MySpace era that's coming back. There's this platform called Sunday with two Y's and it's a social media platform where you only check it on a Sunday. And the idea is that throughout the rest of the week, it's actually a diary. So you kind of like stay engaged and make sure you're in touch with yourself and your emotions and expressions. But then on that Sunday, that's when you share your kind of diary or what you want to and also read your friends. There's one called Long Walks. It kind of acts as like a social media platform to really bring intimate conversations and thought starters to social media connection. Because, you know, we all have these experiences where you meet someone online, you have a conversation and you really hit the surface. Like that's not our fault. It's just we don't have the facilities or the features within these platforms to give us that accelerated intimacy I was talking about earlier that we all fundamentally need as human beings. So I see this as kind of an early change coming with social media needing to address that. 
but at the same time, platforms giving us the space to not kind of be a user and relying on behavioral mechanics to keep us really addicted and refreshing all the time. And Manish, I'll bring you in here. You stay in Bangalore, one of the tech hubs of APAC. How do you see this playing out in terms of the future of technology? Does tech go retro? Does tech grow invisible? Does tech go excessively intrusive? How are you seeing this play out? You know, the way I really look at it is, I think the most important aspect for technology will be that how seamlessly it can blend into our lives and therefore in many ways become invisible so that, you know, you don't feel it's kind of being intrusive and it's able to kind of morph into how the user wants to engage with And there are times when you want to actively engage with technology and there are times when you want to passively engage with technology. That's very interesting. Let me expand the gambit of this discussion to also include experiences. How do you see virtualization of experiences playing out in the next five to 10 years? I think where it makes the most sense is where you can truly bring a sense of the physical experience into the virtual. So If you're connecting with, for example, friends in Australia, going to your favorite restaurant together, then you're both experiencing something and you're connecting people at the same time. And I feel like that is super interesting as a potential virtual experience. If it's about connecting people, I'm all for it. And I think that there will be elements of if that stays true to the virtual world, then we're in a good space. You know, I love Hindustani classical music and I love attending concerts. And I do get into meditative state when I am in a live concert by a great artist. And I've been missing all of it this last one year. And what has opened up for me as an opportunity is that when I can't travel to a concert, I'm not that averse to the idea of now experiencing it digitally. Now I use the digital platform to identify more upcoming artists. So suddenly the variety of music that I'm listening to has gone up many folds. I think for me, both of them will continue to serve two very different needs and they will coexist. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, you should see classical human behavior playing out. Manish is uh, an optimist, as you can see, where he says uh, things will coexist and the world will be a better place. You will see my narcissistic self again probing Sarah. Is it either this or either that? So let me give an example and I'll come to you, Sarah, after that. 2008 Wimbledon final, Roger Federer versus Rafa Nadal. It's considered the greatest match ever played in the history of tennis. Would you watch that match live or would you watch that match virtually? I think it's a no answer, but I would agree to portions what AJ said that if you cannot watch it live, maybe your next best shot is just watching it online. But Sarah, you are the expert. I'm just hypothesizing. What's your take? Well, it's interesting that you use tennis as an example because I actually find that it's a better kind of user experience from the television because you kind of get the angles that you wouldn't get if you were in a crowd. But that being said, I've started at WJSN in the youth culture department. So it was my job to travel the world, going to music festivals, interviewing kids and studying them as they kind of like aged up. So I've been to like a Coachella and a Fuji Rock and a South by way too many times. So I'm actually a little bit triggered on the live experience front of being around 50,000 kids like wild. But in saying that, I really think we're going to go through a decade that, you know, similarly mimics the roaring 20s. And there will kind of be this backlash to the lockdown period where we want to crave and just kind of party and celebrate and reunite and be with people. 
I don't think that will be as long-lived. I think then the tech will arrive to a place where the metaverse, think of the internet 3.0, the digital realms coming together in a really frictionless experience where they have their own economy, where you can shop, work, play, basically do anything. I think those two things will actually, the confluence of people retiring their party ways after lockdown and the emergence of the metaverse hitting in around 2023, 2025 will have us at a place where those worlds will have blended fairly seamlessly. Yeah, Sarah, I resonate a lot with that because revenge travel is something which I am doing. I'm planning to go to South America (laughs) once the vaccine is out. So I think this is a question for everyone on this panel. And I want to hear from each of you one big opportunity that you see, whether it's technology or human behavior, with respect to presence-free living going into the future? Um, I feel like there's so many answers to that, but I'll go with one that's on my radar for now. And it's kind of audio social. We call it sonic social internally. So at least an experience to give us a bit of a rebirth to human connection, but it also doesn't have that draining Zoom fatigue element where we have to do video and cameras on all the time. So you can kind of like pop in, have a chat, engage in a conversation, meet new people and then leave. And I think that kind of gives people a lot less pressure to have those moments. And I think they're a lot less intrusive as an experience. Certainly the thing that keeps me up at night is how can I be more human? How can I be more clear and transparent? And how can I be more fair to people? Gone are the times where we can live in a world where organizations can trick you, can use your data in different ways, can you know mislead. And so I think the biggest opportunity that any person or organization can have right now is to be super clear and mindful of everybody's mental health and state in their approach. What we have developed is a great deal of empathy. We've all experienced a collective struggle. And as a result of this collective struggle, in experiencing it firsthand, we understand what the other is going through and we are more empathetic towards it. I'm hopeful that we'll continue to be empathetic and we will not go back to our old ways. In one line, if I had to summarize presence-free living, I'll give the example of Batman being the good guy and Joker being the bad guy. Recent movies have actually shown that both characters may be reflections in the mirror with massive shades of grey. And in my view, a topic like presence-free living is likely to head in that direction. How can we leverage technology to improve the life of our consumers? not just physically, but emotionally and mentally. Are we going into a future where advanced technology becomes invisible? Automation will do wonderful things for our category moments with consumers, saving them time while shopping. Imagine all the wonderful things they can do with friends and family. Shopping, eating chocolate, or listening to Sandeep. Thanks for joining us today. Stay curious. (laughs) 